Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. Hi, welcome to the Football Writers Podcast. My name's Mike Calvin. I'm joined by John Cross of the Daily Mirror and Dave Kidd of The Sun. Apparently, we talk too much. Sorry, Jose, that's kind of what we do. It's business, nothing personal. But why have a go at Manchester United fans? That's a strange way to mark an important win. Mourinho seems ill at ease. Any idea why? He just doesn't seem like a very happy bunny at the moment, does he? Yeah. I think there's two very marked things, aren't there, basically? The, the shush, you know, into the TV cameras telling, I think, the, uh, uh, the sort of the pundits, if you like, to kind of stop talking quite so much. And why is that? I think his ego has been pricked because in the whole build-up, <clears throat> uh, I think all the fuss and all the talk had been about Maurizio Pochettino, the, the young pretender, the, 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 the sort of the manager of the moment, if you like. Mm. Um, and I think Jose Mourinho in, enjoyed uh, knocking him off his perch. And then also the fans who clearly irked him, I think, when, when there was a bit sort of loud smattering of boos um, when he made that substitution, Rashford for Martial. It was a typical Jose substitution, wasn't it? Like for like, he could have gone for a midfielder and gone a bit more attacking, but he just did, you know, the obvious thing um, to make sure that they didn't lose, but then sort of half-hearted attempt to try and win the game. Um, and I just think then to build on that and then to go for the fans a little bit as he did on the club's own in-house TV channel, mm. MUTV, is quite remarkable to have a go at sort of kind of them lacking support of Rash, uh, uh, sorry, of uh, Lukaku. He's in dangerous ground here, Jose. Make no mistake about that, because he tends to do this. He made a habit of it at Chelsea. The fans don't like it. I don't think from the fans I speak to, they didn't particularly like him flirting with PSG. And I think that there always comes a point when Jose you know, obviously acting like the, the sort of kind of spoiled child that he sometimes can be, um, goes out of his way to annoy people and he's done it again. Mm. Let's get it on the record, Dave. There's no agenda against him. You know, he's probably kind to children and dumb animals, isn't it? <laughs> but there is that ego factor that John talked about. Yeah. And is it relevant that everyone is fawning over Pep Guardiola at this precise moment? Yeah, I think it probably is. I, I just wonder, I'm not convinced by this, because I'm not conv necessarily even convinced that City are going to win the title this year. And we'll talk about City in a bit. But I do wonder whether Jose's starting to think, I might not be able to pull this off. And, you know, City are looking so good. that I'm not, I don't, I don't really fancy myself here. And he's looking for excuses and trying to pick battles when they're not there. He's gone for his own fans before at Chelsea, in the mm. his second spell at Chelsea in particular, I seem to remember. 
Um, he loves a siege mentality, but when you sort of when you sort of turn it onto your own fans, that is, you know, more dangerous ground, as as, as John was saying. So, um, I, I think he's looking at City and thinking, you know, I think he probably thought I've got a strong enough squad to win this league, and I still think that may be, may be true. But I think he's like like most of us looking at City, thinking. They're, you know, they're playing football over another planet at the moment. Are we, am I going to be able to keep in touch with them? Am I going to be able to pull this off? Do, or am I maybe looking for the, for the next challenge? Because he never stays long, as we know. United are unbeaten in 37 games at Old Trafford under Mourinho. Heck of a record. Mm. What was the mood like, though? You know, obviously you, you saw him on, on, on Saturday night. Yeah. I, I, listen, I think Jose was a little bit more defiant, saying, rather than celebrating rather than being joyous, rather than kind of really in, in a really positive place, which you should be, because after all, they have beaten a real serious title rival there, and that should be seen as a really good result. He was just more moody and a little bit more sullen, and I just can't, can't quite understand that. I think that comes from this overall feeling, a bit like as Dave, Dave was touching on there, can they, can they kind of catch City? But also, I think that there's this flatness at United at the moment because I've seen them a lot of them recently and I don't think they're, they're really pulling up any trees and they're just they started brilliantly with a real spring in their step and they had sort of kind of momentum they had you know energy and they had an enthusiasm and they looked as if they were going to entertain and really sort of kind of you know bring on big performances and Saturday was just dull it really was dull. And and we cannot underestimate the fact that, that United in the past have won trophies and won it with style. Saturday's winning goal was De Gea Hoof, knocked on by, by Lukaku, and Martial runs onto it and scores. It's the most route one goal you'll ever see United score. And that's just typical of where United are at the moment. Yes, they're missing players, and you know, Pogba's a huge miss for them in my view, but but I have to say, they're just not playing with with a thrill and excitement that it's going to entertain. Mm, there you've got a £60 million substitute doing what he's been bought to do, scoring the winning goal. But to John's point about style, how important is style in the modern era? I think um, it's becoming increasingly important. But I think when you haven't won the league for four years, I think United, the supporters and the players would take it for one year. The, pr the problem is, I think, for players in particular, is that w with Mourinho, they, they can take it, they can win one title maybe under him, playing in the way he insists on, conservatively, with shackles on, maybe not enjoying enjoying their football as much, but enjoying winning. Because he, con he consciously puts yeah, pressure on them, doesn't absolutely, he? Absolutely, yeah, that's right. There's no, there's no great feeling of, of, of enjoyment. And I think once they've once they've won a title under him, teams tend to then it then disintegrates because people players get bored of it. Players want to express themselves. I think he tends to underestimate his own players individually. It's always got to be about him. It's always got to be about the defensive systems he's putting into place. It's always got to be about his own tactical genius, never about individual players. Uh, and players want to go out and enjoy themselves. Good players, great players want to go out and enjoy themselves and express themselves. And they're not allowed to do that under Mourinho. And having usually after winning one title, players get bored with it. I think that, I'm not sure if they're going to win that title at United, mm. but I think, I, think, I think he can get away with it because of what's happened since Ferguson in the last four years. He can get away with it short term. Is that a bit of basically down to us as well, John? Because we do, you know, let's be honest about it, focus on managerial philosophies and personalities and principles. 
sometimes to the detriment of their own players. So are we creating this monster of a managerial ego? Partly, and Jose is a massive character, isn't he? And, and a massive personality. I still think he's the, he's the biggest um, in world football, really, in terms of managers. I think we could look at you know, Zidane, you know, I mean, Guardiola's huge as well, you know, Wenger, personality sort of driven managers, but Jose's out there on his own. And I do think he, he's got to accept that that, you know, comes with a, with a sort of kind of a pressure, all eyes on him. But also, I just feel that Jose Mourinho is very, very uh, pronounced in what you get from Jose Mourinho. It's winning football. I think in all the time that, that basically in this country, particularly, that, that Jose Mourinho has managed, you've seen six months of really good champagne, expansive, flowing football. And that was in his second spell at Chelsea in the first half of the season before they lost at Spurs in the new year. And then basically from then on, he thought, right, I'm going to shut this down. We're going to go back to what I do. And that's playing pragmatic football, not to lose. And sure enough, they limped over the line. But that that was the one time that you got free-flowing football. So, yes, it, we, we are building him up, but also... He's very defined in what he wants and how he manages. And I just think that Man United knew exactly what they were getting with Jose Mourinho. They were getting a manager who, in fairness to him, is a winner. He's a proven track record. But I just think that the expecta expectation at United and the standards are a bit higher than that and are very, very much different in that they want expansive, open, attacking football to go with their trophies. Mm -hmm. And he's got that ruthlessness, Dave, hasn't it, that you see in all the best managers doesn't mind isolating someone and actually binning them. Are we close to that now with Luke Shaw? And what about this notion of some sort of swap deal with Danny Rose at Spurs? Yeah, I think that's that's been a possibility for some time. The, the problem is that Pochettino likes Shaw, like Shaw as he was when he was at Southampton, but Shaw's had serious injury and, and real problems physically and mentally getting back from that injury. Um, so whether Shaw... As he is now, is is a you know does Pochettino think he can work on his magic on him again, or does he think he's damaged goods? But I think that is a that you know I think United want Rose, and uh, I think it's likely to happen at some point in the next two windows, probably probably the summer window. But mm. whether Shaw goes in the other direction, it, it's a possibility. But Shaw's going to have to to prove himself a little bit more mm. on that. You you put forward the half formed argument right at the start that you think City might not be champions. Give us an idea why. I started, at the start of the season, I tipped United, um, and not many people probably did, but... I did, actually, I, by did the way. You? Okay, <laughs> yeah. I, I tipped United, and, and the reason being, I, I believed at that point that a, a good, solid Mourinho team, which I think he, he's now got in his own image, might well beat a, a, a real... Guardiola team, which he's now got. They're both, after a year in the job, both got teams that are, that are recognisably in their own image. I thought over 38 Premier League games, having to tough things out at times, United um, might just about edge out City. And quite frankly, they're only five points behind. They haven't played each other yet. They've been without Pogba for six weeks now. It could be another couple of weeks. So United are still in touch. They still, they still could win it. That theory may, may still prove to be true. City have made astonishing starts the last two seasons and have faded away completely. Um, I understand this is different. I understand that they are that the, the quality of their football this year has been, has been on a completely different level. Um, but I still think there is a chance that United could overhaul them. They've got a lot of strength in depth. They've spent a lot of money. 
Um, I think they're the only team that can. I don't think I don't think I don't see Spurs lasting the distance at all. I don't don't see Chelsea either. Um, it's a, it's a tough argument to make when City are playing this well, but I, we, we have been in this situation at the same time in the last two seasons and things have turned out very differently. Mm. What about you, John? Um, I probably underestimated City. I didn't realise they were going to gel in the way that they had because I always had those doubts about the defence. You still a City man? Yeah, I tip City. I'm trying to be the smart aleck on the sofa. <laughs> um, and, and funny enough, I, I, you know, I think everyone sort of kind of rewrites history. I'm not sure that, that you know, it was overwhelming towards no, maybe City. Not, no. And I don't think that kind of it was... Um, I, I, I think people sort of kind of split. And I, th I think, you know, a lot of people went for United, understandably mm. so, and kind of Spurs and Chelsea. I thought they'd over overpower teams. And they're doing that late in the games as well, aren't they? Yeah, they are. And look, I think City are really interesting this this season. I, th I think the, the massive thing for me last season, their failings, was the fullbacks. The, you know, even though obviously they're playing defence. They're not really defenders in the Guardiola team, are they? Because they're basically everything sort of kind of comes from them. Mm. Um, in really sort of kind of classic footballing teams, I do think they always you always start moves and you always go short from the goalkeeper to to the fullbacks. And I think he had to get something in place where the fullbacks would work in the system. And I think well, he had good players in the past, but they just didn't fit into that system. And now he's got everything that he needs, really. Now he's got Fabian Delph playing left back. Now. Well, I know, yeah, I know. It is a strange one with that, but they have they have got an awful lot of squad players, and, and there's kind of so much quality. They're irresistible to watch at the moment. They're brilliant to watch, mm -hmm. and I love the fact that that where, where Man United are being pragmatic, and they might still have a big say in the title race. I suspect they probably will at some point. City are kind of overpowering opponents. And with their football and their style, that's their biggest single thing in the, in the title race because they they are daunting, they're they're terrifying opponents, and they're sending out a clear messages. Brilliant. Yeah. What about Raheem Sterling, Dave? Um, eight starts, nine goals. I found it really interesting. I was at Liverpool last week, and speaking to some of the coaches, they were they really praised him mm. to the limits. Although you know there was a you know a schism in the end, and he left. For him, for his approach, both personally and professionally, they they didn't have a bad word to say about him. He has had his doubters. Is he proving those doubters wrong? Yeah, I think he is to some extent. I, I think with Sterling, more than most players, and certainly it's true of most young players, he's a confidence player, and 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 he and he's been enthused by by in confidence, and it happened during sort of Anfield spring under Rodgers when they were when Liverpool were unstoppable it seemed for a while during that during those few months when he was in tandem with, with Suarez and, and, and Sturridge um, I think we're now seeing that again at club level if funnily enough as soon as he pulls on an England shirt he looks half the player and, 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 and that is still there is still that confidence problem and I think England fans and just when he's playing for England he, he has had negativity surrounding him um, and he more more than most players, it, it's a confidence thing. You can see he's absolutely full of it when he's playing for City at the moment. There's no doubting the guy's <coughs> talent. Um, there's no doubting his professionalism. I've heard similar things as well. Uh, Crossy know a fair bit about him as well. But uh, but uh, you know, there's no. He's not a bad lad in any way, shape, or form. It's just he he can be slightly thin-skinned. Um, and and when things are going against him, when he's particularly when he's getting a bit of friendly fire from his own fans, it can, it can affect him more than more so than most players. How have you found in your dealings with him? Well, I've always really liked him. I think, you know, I sat down with him a few times to do interviews and 
he's a, he's a nice lad. There, there is this sort of kind of perception, isn't there, that's sort of out there that sometimes, you know, is fueled by a lot of people who just don't know him. I'm not pretending I know him, you know, particularly well. But I just think yeah, he is so much about confidence, as, as Dave says, and he is a personable guy. He's a likeable fella. And um, I just think he's, he's driven by that self-belief and you are seeing the reaps of the rewards and you know, when it's not going for him, people will always point to the finishing and, and what have you. But I mean, the, the, this run of goals is proving that, that he can score goals, he can apply the finishing touch and he's so direct and he's so excited and he can run with such pace with the ball. Yeah, I mean, he's absolutely a fantastic asset for City to have and he really is on fire at the moment this season. And I think it is all about confidence and trying to prove a few people wrong for City. But Dave Spahn, we need that in an England shirt because it, it weighs heavily. It really does in an England shirt. And I think that's partly because of this kind of almost this false, you know, personality thing that, that, that basically people brought up that is sort of this, this bad lad. He's really not. Mm. If you look at it also, teams, you know, players spark off one another in successful teams. So if you look at it, uh, Leroy Sane, eight goals in nine starts. Gabriel Jesus hasn't lost, hasn't been in a losing team for a year. <laughs> that's bound to have yeah, an effect, great. isn't it? That, yeah, and um, De Bruyne's, you know, mm. at the moment, like, as we've said, most October's De Bruyne's Football of the Year, but it's never, <laughs> it never happened. But, I mean, that they are a tremendous... Um, Tremendous collection of, of individuals who, 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 who have been melded into a, a wonderful, wonderful team, even better than the sum of its parts. Um, it, it's fantastic to watch. I, I just—it's it, too early for me to to gush too much. It's too early for me to say they're the greatest team of the Premier League era um, because they haven't won anything yet. Will we know more about them after this week and the Champions League tie against Napoli? Well, I have to say that, that City have been the ones in, in the Premier League, aren't, aren't they? That have flirted with kind of doing something decent in, in the Champions League. I think everyone else is slightly embarrassed as really haven't been good enough. And I think, again, that City are really solid and they're looking very, very strong in their group stage. But th this week, as you say, that they will face a really stern test. And we know a lot more about them because Napoli and the Sarri this season are amazing. They're scoring fantastic goals. Um, scoring lots of, you know, they're, they're right up there, aren't they now? And so, you know, I think they went top, didn't they, this weekend? So, um, it, I think it's a, it's a severe test, and that stadium is it can be fantastic, atmospheric, wonderful ground to play at. Everyone looks at it and th thinks of running track. Well, it's nothing like that. It really is. Fans are something else. Aren't they? Well, absolutely, they remind, the reminds me of the South, like almost like a, a South American crowd. Yeah, on, just on that edge all yeah, the time. They are, and I think it will be a test of, of of City's metal, if you like, really. And I think they'll, they'll if they can kind of come through that. I mean, lots of people talk about kind of, you know, sending messages out with kind of you know Tottenham's result at, at Real Madrid and you know Man United doing something something similar with 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 Moscow, Chelsea, you know, allegedly doing the same by winning at Atletico Madrid. We've got to remember it's the group stage. So I don't really think we can read too much into it. But what you can do, I think, in the group stage is kind of get those confidence-boosting wins. I don't think we should, the team should be defined by what you do in, in the group stage and particularly individual results. But you can definitely grow confidence and you can sort of instill that belief within the players. If they can get an impressive result in Napoli, then I think people will look up and take notice, I think, of City as a European force as well. Mm. Staying in Italy, Dave... Chelsea 
against Roma, that return leg. It's bound to be brought up with Conte and you know these persistent rumours that you might go back to you know, go, go to Milan. Are we in for a, a speculation fest in the next Probably, couple of days? Probably, yeah. And for the rest of the season, as long as Conte's still at Chelsea, uh, you know those those noises don't go away. A lot of people behind the scenes will tell you he's not going to be there at the start of next season. He may well not be there in the new year. Um, it, people people are going to keep saying it. Conte, when it comes up, will, will swear at us and say it's not true, but. We, I don't think he's there for the long term. It's quite sad for Chelsea because he's a very good coach and last season was an outstanding success. And they're making a better fist of defending their title than the last two or three uh, clubs who attempted it. It's not an easy thing to do in these days trying to, trying to defend the Premier League. They haven't fallen apart as, as Mourinho's Chelsea did and as Ranieri's Leicester did. Um, so, yeah, but Conte clearly doesn't seem particularly happy um, a in England, B at Chelsea in terms of his relationship with the hierarchy there. It's, it's not entirely right. And the, the first game against Roma was an outstanding game of football for a neutral to watch. But, it, you know, real heart attack on the plate for the, for, the, for the actual managers. I mean, Chelsea were all over the place defensively. Roma have got some good experienced players and that'll be a terrific game of football, I think, over there in the Olympic Stadium. And then on, Saturday, uh, sorry, on Sunday, you've got uh, Mourinho back at the bridge so the comparisons will just keep coming won't they? They, they, they will and it's a, it's just a huge test for, for, for United and um, you know I mean I, I just think that Jose Mourinho would be desperate I think to, to prove a point because he's had a very kind of uh, argumentative shall we say com, sort of really sort of combative sort of relationship with, with, with Conte isn't he and um, you know, the, 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 I don't think there's particularly love lost between them. Conte is, as Dave says, not he's not happy, is he? I mean, I really, really like the guy. I think he's, he's so impressed with with what they did last season. But it's, I, I do get the impression that from behind the scenes, I think that he he's never going to be happy. You can never please him, and I think that comes down to transfers and kind of the, the, what Chelsea can expect this season. He left, I think, the, the window thinking. I, I'm not sure that I can do it with this team, basically. The fact that he didn't extend his contract, they only improved the terms, if you like, I think just says it all, really. They gave him a reward for winning the title, but was there any, any greater belief that he would stay there long term? No, I don't think so. And I, I, I like David, wouldn't wouldn't surprise me at all if he went at the, at the end of the season. But I think Chelsea... We, we get this every time and I think it's such a shame because, you know, we talk about sort of the kids and kind of bringing kids through and developing teams and developing a philosophy. You can't do that if you're changing new manager every two years. No, he's, he's talking his own team down too much. That becomes a self-fulfilling prophecy too often. He's been doing it since pre-season and the charity shield. He's been doing it ever since. Um, they've not. They didn't sign that badly. They didn't recruit that badly. They spent a lot. They spent they? a lot of money. They really, a lot, you know. um, spent a fair, not quite as much as City and United in it, but but they they spent quite and a lot. Rudiger has gone in there and probably could end up costing Cahill his job. Absolutely, yeah, yeah. He's a good, he's a good player. They, they've signed. They, they signed some good players. Marata, Marata Bakayoko as well. Mm. They signed. They signed good players. It, it's not as bad as all that. And Conte's been talking them down, and that does become a mentality. The players can stop. Certain players can certainly stop believing it if the manager keeps telling them mm. often enough that they're not good enough. You mentioned Marata, Dave. Yeah. We're used to Chelsea being a club of whispers and moans. Now, <laughs> you've got a report coming out from Italy. Uh, today, Monday morning, that Morata's saying he actually wished he'd never left Juventus. 
let's look beyond that one story. That doesn't bode well, does it? It doesn't. No. Yeah, I, hadn't, I haven't read that story yet, but um, it's interesting. And, and, and you wonder, given that Morata's made a good start on a personal level at Chelsea, he's, he's playing well, he's scored goals. Um, he looks good. He looks sharp, as we know he is. Then, that, if he is making though, if that, you know, if, if that's a hundred percent, as you say, then the, he must have an eye. He's close with Conte more than anyone else there. He's played for him before. He, he must. If that's true, then he must be sensing there's something not quite right behind the scenes because he's playing well. He's, he's looking at home in the Premier League. He's one of those rare players who have adapted very, very well from the word go. So there must be something behind the scenes. Um, if, if he's coming out with stuff like that. Mm. And it's always been a club of relentless ambition. Mm. Eden Hazard scored three times in his last three games, some semblance of a return to form. Is he the sort of player who'll be looking at the big picture and thinking, I might, I might be on my bike from here as well, especially if Madrid is still interested? Yeah, I just think Eden Hazard at some point is going to go to Real Madrid. I think that at, whether it's next summer or the year after, I mean, he, he could even sign a sort of a, a big new contract at Chelsea. I don't think that would necessarily stop that long-term ambition. Just mean the transfer fees are yeah, yeah, yeah. And I just think he, he's a really top-class player, Hazard. And frankly, I don't think we've seen the best of him by any means yet this season, simply because that sort of belated start to the campaign because of injury, you know, recovering from, from the ankle problem that he had at the back end of last year. And I just think he, at some point, will be tempted to go to Madrid no matter how happy he is now, I just think for a lot of players, it will always be that dream to play for arguably the biggest club in the world, a different ambition, a different thing, um, maybe to go and be, win the biggest trophies. I'm not convinced in, in the current guys and in the current circumstance that Chelsea can go and win the Champions League. Well, Real Madrid can do that and can offer you know, a player like Hazard that, that platform to go and do that. So... I'm, I'm desperate for him to stay, to be honest with you, because I think he's brilliant and we need as many grade-A superstars as we can possibly get in the, in the Premier League and Hazard is one. Mm. You're both going to be at Wembley for the uh, Spurs-Real Madrid tie. Uh, what do you expect from that game, uh, Dave, especially if Harry Kane doesn't make it? He doesn't make it... Um... You slightly fear for Spurs. I'm not, you know, I'm not going to bid the Guardiola and say they are the Harry Kane team. They're, they're a terrific side. They've had, they've, had a, they've had a strange week, Tottenham. Um, Pochettino's had a strange week from a guy who's being lauded to high heaven. You know, he he he, he picked a, as he said he would do. He, he picked a, a second string side for the League Cup. They haven't won anything, Spurs. But we hear so much. You know, we hear constantly about how oh, he's the greatest manager in the world. They're the greatest team the world has ever seen. They've never, they've not won anything, and they've got a chance in the domestic cuts maybe to win something, and he doesn't try to. So they've lost that game. They go to United, a pretty uninspired United can get beat as they do every year. They go to Old Trafford, don't believe they can win. They never win big games against top six teams away under Pochettino. So it's a, you know, having done very well in the Bernabeu and having, you know, played a lot of great stuff this season, played some wonderful stuff away from home and scored an amazing amount of goals over the, towards the end of last season, start of this season. Um, he suddenly almost got a, a, a point to prove in this game because of the week he's, he's just had. Um, you know, they've got to try and live up to the hype a little bit, um, and particularly without Kane. You know, can they can they put on a show at Wembley against you know the, the best club team in the world, the back-to-back European champions? So um, I, I slightly fear for them, particularly without Kane. I think Real, even though they lost themselves the weekend, mm. could pick them off. You, you know, obviously, you know, you're at Old Trafford. Mm. What what were the uh, signs of weakness that you took from that game 
What about Eric Dyer? He doesn't look to me to be a natural defender. No, I'd, I don't think so. I'm not sure he's a natural midfielder. <laughs> mm. But that sounds a bit disingenuous. I think he's a really good Premier League centre-half. But I don't know whether you're going to win the, the, the Premier League title with, with him um, as part of the back three. And I have to say, I, I think that, that Pochettino tried to address that in the, in, in the summer. And I was a bit surprised to see Sanchez, who'd started the season so well, um, you know, on on the bench, there's a slight suggestion that he had a little bit of a niggle, and so basically, you know, no chances with him, and he'll start Wednesday night. And I would expect that to be because I just think that 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 formidable <coughs> back three that Tottenham have of of Alderweireld, who from for my money is the best centre half in the league right now. Um, Sanchez, I think, has fitted in, and Vertonghen is a very adaptable kind of player. Can play obviously left. Left back, left wing back, left side of the three. They're really, really strong. But I have to say, Dyer was exposed for a moment of, of of madness, really, where I think he just seemed to lose his concentration. I was so surprised at the way that, that, that Spurs set up in that basically I thought they might go for it with Llorente up front and playing Son as well. But I guess once you're playing sort of Deli Alley as... It's almost an auxiliary striker. He's almost playing as a second striker on Saturday. He's very far advanced. I just don't think they quite set up right. I'm a huge <coughs> Pochettino fan, a devotee, a, you know, convert. And I have to say, I do think he got his tactics slightly wrong in a couple of key areas, the defence and also the way that they tried to attack United because I felt that United were there for the taking. Well, leaving Lorente out was a really strange one. Mm. I thought he was a really good signing for them and Chelsea obviously wanted him. Lorente, you know, it was going to be difficult to find a, a really good centre forward who'd be reasonably happy to play second fiddle to Kane as a backup, the squad player. <coughs> and to get Lorente, I thought it was a really, a really good get for Tottenham. And to not play him then when Kane's out at Man United was a, was a really strange one for me. Mm. Let's look at Real. As you said, Dave, they lost two unto Girona, aka Man City reserves now <laughs> because of the, yeah. the stake that they've got in that club. Um, eight points behind Barcelona in La Liga. Does that then put more pressure on Real to do something in the Champions League? It does. I mean, Real Madrid are expected to win one or, one or other of those two um, every season. Having, I don't know, having won the double last year, won, won both of them last year, having, having won back-to-back Champions League, first team to do so, does that take any pressure off you? It wouldn't any other club in the world, but I don't know about Real Madrid, no. Um, or should we call them the, the Cristiano Ronaldo team? <laughs> yeah, but, yeah, I'm not sure about that. I mean, I mean, you know, when you've got players like Modric and Kroos in, in midfield, it, they have, they're, they're still a wonderful team. But I, th- I thought Spurs could have won there. You know, they had, a, they had a spell, Real Madrid, when they looked irresistible and Lloris made a couple of great saves in that first match. But, but Spurs, you know, Kane had one great chance to win the match. Um, so, you know, Real, Real are not, um, not at all invincible. Um, they're not at their best at the moment, but I, st- I still think um, you know, they are the team to beat in the Champions League this season. Mm. Arsenal not in the Champions League. We don't need any reminder of that fact, do they? <laughs> um, I was struck by Arsene Wenger on Saturday. Um, 800 not out in terms of Premier League games in charge. Almost that wistfulness that you saw, John, in the AGM. He made a fantastic speech, I mean, amidst all that shambles. Are we any further forward with the Wenger in, Wenger out debate? Not really. I mean, I did think that of everything that was kind of, you know, said and done at the AGM, I think the most ridiculous thing of all was almost 
well, actually, no, so Chips Keswick was the most ridiculous thing. <laughs> um, it was basically, yeah, yeah. It was Arsene Wenger trying to suggest, oh, we'll assess it in the summer. Do me a favour. <laughs> Anyone that buys that is kidding themselves. I mean, it just doesn't work like that. You do not fight and slug it out as he did at points last season for a new contract only to give up halfway through. I'm sorry, anyone that buys that is ridiculously naive. What he's trying to do, I think, is sort of kind of slightly play to the crowd and kind of sort of say, oh, you know, I've got to do something. I've got to do, you know, win something. I've got to be competitive this season. Judge me in May, which is a tired old kind of Wenger t- cliche that the fans <laughs> wheel out, particularly the anti-Wenger brigade. Um, I just, the one thing that you can say about Wenger is that each and every time, whether it be, you know, in the past you had Peter Hillwood saying, you know, thank you for your interest in our affairs at the AGM or Sir Chips Keswick, you know, being rude and patronising to shareholders and dying the wool fans. It's, you can bet your bottom dollar that Wenger will stand up and at some point make a brilliant speech, as he did indeed last Thursday, and kind of have the fans eating out of his hand. It's almost like the dodgy support act at a rock concert. <laughs> building up and building up. And then you get the main act coming forward and stealing the show. And everyone says, they, they forget all their faults and saying, weren't they wonderful? God, we could listen to them all day. And it's, it's fingers like that. Mm. Do you like Wenger? Oh, yeah, everyone loves him, don't they? I mean, he thinks we all hate him, but he's no, <laughs> great. I mean, you know, we don't get as long with him as we used to in the press conference, but it's always a great pleasure to, when, you, when you actually get him talking on a subject. He's, he's such a intelligent... I always find him much more... Um, captivating when you're talking about life rather yeah absolutely yeah he's at his worst after after a match particularly if they've lost or not got the result or performance they want but pre-match he was always outstanding if you get him away from that immediate post-match environment he's he's a wonderful bloke Um, we'd all love to see his you know his his grand philosophies come to fruition but unfortunately there's someone else with the same similar philosophies and an awful lot more money doing an awful lot better and they'll play each other on Sunday and, and City will probably wipe the floor with Arsenal, I'd have thought. Mm. Everton. Um, good friend of mine, Mr Barton, has basically uh, uh, piled straight into um, uh, Unsworth, glorified PE mm. teacher, which I thought was a bit unfair. Well, it's um, ridiculously unfair. Yeah. <laughs> but you look at that. Are Everton in a relegation fight? Yeah, of course. Yeah, absolutely they are. And I don't think that's because of David Unsworth. I mean, I think the thing is that we forget about that. If you call an under-23s coach a glorified PE teacher, well, hang on, we spent the whole weekend praising the (laughs) under-17s. What does that say about a kind of, you know, the youth set up? So they're all PE teachers. What a load of old nonsense. I'm sorry. And then also to drag on to, sorry, I know he's a mate of yours, but, <laughs> but you know, to go on about his weight. I mean, it's just, yeah. it just, it, it was weightist, wasn't it? it well, it was just it. embarrassing. It's just embarrassing. I mean, you know, I mean, I, I, I don't understand that. I think that Unsworth will probably get until, well, it's not long to go now, is it? But basically, we'll get till the international break. I think that the sort of Everton. <laughs> Probably have got their, their their eyes set on a on a grander prize, but then sort of Unsworth is almost the, the the backup. Where I think Unsworth would be a good fit and a good choice is that he's worked with an incredible rich vein of talent of kids, uh, who basically will break in um, over the next sort of two or three years, in in my view, into the Everton first team, given the right encouragement, given the right management. They're already doing so, of course, in their in their numbers, but they've got even more. And I just think, you know, Unsworth is clearly a very, very good youth coach. And I, 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 
I just don't feel at this moment in time that it's necessarily the right timing for him. But I think it, I think it would be a good fit. But make no mistake about it, Everton don't have the goal scorer up front. They don't have the firepower. As time has told us, basically, they haven't bought as well as we maybe thought they did in the summer. And I don't know whether they need a Red Adair sort of character, a kind of someone to kind of, you know, bring the dressing room together or a big name foreign coach. But I'm not convinced that a big name foreign coach will steer them away from danger. In fact, if they get the wrong big name, if you like, then I think it could be a far, far worse option than Unsworth. What about Sean Dyche? It's five years ago to the day that he took over at Burnley. Mm. That's a great body of work that he's done there. Yeah, He'd sort them out. Yeah, if they went for him, it would remind you in many ways of Moyes. Um, Moyes had quite so much success at Preston, but he had a lot of success getting him from the third to the second tier and playing some good football and getting close to the to the Premier League. Um, Deitch would have, would have a similar feel about it. Apparently, you know, neither faction in the Everton boardroom particularly want Deitch, though, so I, I don't think it will happen. Mashiri's um, looking at grander prizes. Ken Wright wants an Evertonian because he's a hopeless romantic. But that club is, has got real problems because there are these two completely different factions um, addressing room, uh, in, in, in the boardroom. In, in, on the pitch, apart from the fact they haven't got a number nine, they've got far too many players at each end of their careers, very few players at their peak. They've got a lot of old old stages who have passed their peak, Rooney included, Baines, Jagielka, and then a lot of kids. And there aren't too many players there who, who are actually at the peak of their power. Sigurdsson might be one of them, but he's not really fitted in. They've signed loads of number 10s and no number nine. Um, no, it's, pace, it's, no pace anywhere no in the pace, team. No pace anywhere in the team, exactly. It's a real problem. If I was Dyatch, I wouldn't touch the job with the barge part. I think Everton are in real trouble. Leicester, very briefly with Claude mm. Powell. Well, I just think he's an underwhelming, you know, appointment, really. Uh, look, I know that the sort of the result on, on Sunday was a great start for him, and um, that's as may be. But I just mm. think that Boyle, I, I couldn't work him out at Southampton because you had the brilliant sort of kind of reaching the League Cup final, um, a game they deserved to win but, but didn't, and then their hopeless home form when they struggled to score goals. And where does that come from? I think it must be slightly driven by a sort of kind of a you know, dour, slightly dull, underwhelming personality from the manager. And I'd, I'd love to think that he can sort of rally the troops and get them up for a game because I just don't think he inspires me in public. Mm. Some questions from the, the listeners and the viewers. Um, Dave, this is from uh, Anne-Marie Batson. What are your thoughts about Sam Allardyce's comments about the lack of English managers in the Premier League? Uh, I've heard that from Sam for quite a few years. Um, yeah, I think he's still got a point, though. I think there's been a bit of reverse, reverse at sort of snobbery um, about English managers, um, reverse xenophobia, if you like. Um, I think that English football needs somebody like perhaps Clement at Swansea to, to, to get it right, because I think uh, I interestingly spoke to um, Mickey Adams, who's one of the old school English managers, who's managed every every division 800 matches. And he, he made an interesting admission, admission that people of his sort of generation and older, the old school, if you like, of, of English management, got it wrong and were arrogant and didn't move with the times 10 or 20 years ago. And, and that sort of generation's gone. Um, and now I think we need people like maybe like Clement, who, who weren't big name players, who weren't professional players at all, 
to come through. Some of these guys who, who, are, who are taking the England age group teams and, and, to, to get, and for them to have some success. Clement's got the opportunity at Swansea. It's not going brilliantly at the moment. Mm. I think someone like him did well. If Shakespeare had done well at Leicester, I know he's not quite in the same category. He played a lot of football. But, you know, he needs one or two Englishmen because, it, 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 rightly or wrongly, there is a fashion thing in terms of, of managers being appointed. The Dutchmen were very, were very fashionable. Now they're going to be very out of fashion. There won't be <laughs> yes. too many Dutchmen being. And it, it's crazy, really, because on an, on an individual basis, there may be, some, may be a very good Dutchman for, for a job, but they'll be out of fashion. Now. I suppose to, be, to play devil's advocate, it's a global league, the Premier League. So why don't you go global in terms of getting the best coach possible? Yeah, there's no, there's no restriction on it. I, I'm always of the, of the belief that basically, um, you, you know, you just appoint the best man for the job. And I just don't think that there's no there's no particular restrictions on, on a manager. It's just a, it's just a debate point. Yes, we want to encourage the English managers too. Of course we do, just like, the, you know, English players, because we want a good England national team. But again, we don't have sort of restrictions on what nationality sort of the England manager is. I, I guess in an ideal world, you want it to be English. But I just, I, I think sometimes, I mean, the, you know, the Palace thing was, was a great case in point, wasn't it? Mm. I mean, there's no way that De Boer was, was the right fit for that. But why, why, why was he appointed? Well, because he's Dutch. And similarly, I don't think that, that chairman or chief executives appoint an Englishman because he's English. I just think, that, you know, we're, we're stuck in a really weird place and I've got a degree of sympathy with what Aldai says. Mm. Owen's on. Uh, Dave, do you see Carlo Ancelotti in the Premier League next season? If so, which of the top six will he go to? Um, depends whether there's a, <laughs> there needs to be a vacancy, wouldn't there? Um, I doubt it but um I, I, th th there is some smoke um to the um um rumor about chelsea i mean he's he he likes london he liked living there he didn't want to go it, it was a very it was a brutal sacking i think even abramovich or people close to him um think it's the one that he probably got wrong that he probably should have been more patient with ancelotti because in many ways he was the ultimate Chelsea manager because they were playing really good football. They won the double in great style in his first season, and also he's he's a he's a man who's quite happy on the training ground. Isn't like Conte in terms of the way he um, wants to start fights and, and wants to challenge people inwardly. He's, he's a he's a he's a he's a guy who's quite malleable. Um, so I think if there was if he's going to be in the Premier League next year, I'll say a return to Chelsea, but I doubt it. OK. <laughs> uh, Paul Fry says, does Spurs have to go through the rest of the Premier League season unbeaten to win it? There was a point in time at the start of last season when I thought Spurs would have a chance of going through the season unbeaten but still wouldn't win the league. Because it took them a while. It took them a while to really kind of click into gear. But you might remember they went through this really strange spell of quite a lot of draws and... Didn't quite sort of click for them. A bit like Man United. Like. Yeah, yeah. It's it's funny, isn't it? Because the the dream is to to to, to do it you know, unbeaten and the Invincibles and Arsenal, the only ones to do it in in, in two thousand and four. But I, I I just think that shouldn't really be the sort of the defining aspect because I doubt very much that any team <coughs> can can do it unbeaten this season. But I think the one thing is that either Man City, in my view, either Man City or Tottenham will win it because of their attractive football and their free-flowing attacking football. And I think sometimes you will get defeats with that, but I'd far, far rather 
to them see going going for it and being attacking and being pragmatic, trying not to be beaten. Mm. Nick from Manchester asks, which English team has the best chance of winning the Champions League? It's interesting because um, they're all doing so well this year and it's been a real sea change, uh, you know, um, entire sea change. Um, the obvious thing would be to say City, but to, to challenge on two fronts is very, very difficult for a Premier League team in particular. Um, but City, uh, they got to the semi-finals the year before last and didn't even, didn't didn't even go for it. That, that, won't, that won't happen under Guardiola. It's a very different side, but there are players there who've been, you know, gone gone deep into the competition. So um, Chelsea might just be targeting the Champions League, yeah. perhaps. And Chelsea, when they've Chelsea have won the Champions League while having a disastrous season in the in the Premier League and and changing managers and all that sort of stuff, might well go off at Chelsea, and then they can go through and win it because they've got a lot of good, experienced footballers there. So I'd say either of those teams have got half a chance. Right, I want to finish with the under-17s. I've got a couple of questions from um, um, the viewers and listeners. This is from Tim Smith. Will Southgate pick the kids if they're not playing for their clubs? And how many of them do you expect to see through, both from the under-17s and 20s? I don't think he'll pick players um, per se if they're not playing for, for the clubs. And I think the worst thing in the world we can do is, is basically is saying how wonderful their progression is, how exciting the time ahead is, and completely then lose our heads and, and forget that, that a good grounding is, is basically not fast-tracking them through the age group. So not saying under-17s <coughs> means you can bypass the under-21s, because for years we've always gone on about, you know, they should grow old together, they should go to tournaments together, they should basically progress through the age groups, and now we're suddenly saying that they should win in India and then play against Brazil and Germany. Come on. You know, be realistic about this. But I think that there's a, two or three in in there that something must be horribly, horribly wrong if we if we can't see a pathway for someone like you know Foden, for example. You know, Hudson Odoi looked absolutely terrific, and we've got to be asking questions. I think there's going to be more uh, progression and more graduates from the under 17s than the under 20s because as good as the under 20s were. I still think that it's shining lights of the under-17s. Mm. Sort of a double-edged question for a full-on fan this, Dave, but the Sessignon brothers, Ryan, to me, looks an absolute certainty. Mm, and yeah. I know he's, he's, he's captured the imagination of the England coaches as well. Yeah, he has, yeah. I, I, the, the interesting thing with, with, Sesson, with Ryan Sessignon is that he's playing left-back and he's, he's not a left-back, I don't think. He'd be a, a left-winger or a number 10. He's an attacking player. He's got a good eye for goal. He's, he's very quick and very gifted on the ball. Terrific player. Stevens, his twin brother, who, who set up two goals in the in the under 17s final. Obviously, you know, without even being the best player in his own family at this point, um, Stephen um, had a, had a bad injury, so he he was a little bit further back in his development. He could be playing regularly for, for Fulham later this season because he's got a hell of a lot of ability and, and confidence. So. Um, yeah, I mean, they're, they're both special and Fulham have done well to, to hold on to them even even until now. Mm. You've got uh, Lee Fisher asked the question, is a quota policy enforced by the FA and the Premier League the only way to ensure that these what he calls rough diamonds become established at England internationals? No, I hate the quota system. I think we already have slightly a bit of a quota system, don't we, in the sort of in squad terms. But I think to enforce it even further... 
So you absolutely have to have a certain amount in. Um, and uh, I, I just think is the wrong way to go to it. I think it fits, it basically puts an artificial cap on it. I don't know quite what the solution is, but I just feel that sometimes if you put in uh, kids in the wrong environment, I mean, you can ruin kids, I think, even the best kids, I think, if you put them in a, into a poor team, for example, and you, you're doing that because of a quota, then you're going to kill their chances in the longer term. I don't like it. I don't know what the system, what, what, what it should be. But one thing I, I, I do absolutely passionately feel about is Foden. I mean, for example, his, his performances. And Guardiola has acknowledged this and basically sort of said he would have played in the Carabao Cup. Well, there's going to be a point in time, isn't there, when, when basically he's going to be up against who can I most compare him with, Bernardo Silva? Mm. I, I just think that there's going to be a situation where Guardiola is under pressure, I think, to pick Foden over over Silva, and, and let's let's see how we get on with that because it's it's a it's a point in time. I'm not criticising those clubs because Man City, their academy is unbelievable, so we shouldn't criticise. But there has to be a pressure, and I think it has to be a natural pressure rather than a quota pressure to play some of those kids. Well, there's never been a better time to be bold. Kids in this week's Senior England squad? Wouldn't surprise me. Thanks for joining us here on the Football Writers Podcast. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavour. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here, and it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com.